0: But then I found out recently that y'all were in the EXO series, and then my excitement went to like, ooh, I don't know about that, because um, as a Mexican, um, that's like Mexican and Puerto Rican, we get the best of both worlds, all right? Hey. Like asking me to talk about like marriage is like asking Biggie Smalls for dieting tips, you know? It's like, are you sure you should ask this chick? Especially because. As a Mexican, I have an aversion, an allergy to the word, submission, so. Most Latinas are allergic to that word, you didn't know that, but it often manifests in like dry heave or fits of tears, okay? So, don't say you didn't know. But my husband and I have been married for almost eight years, September will be eight glorious years. And I may not be perfect, and he may not be perfect, and we may not have the perfect marriage. However, I serve a perfect God, and I stand behind his perfect word as we talk this morning about an important topic, a valuable topic. No, I don't stand and communicate with a degree in marriage and family therapy. I don't stand upon my dopeness. I don't stand upon any sort of accreditation other than I'm a child of God that has prayed, fasted, and prepared a word for the house today. Are you with me? Say amen. Oh, you will. You want to talk back at all the other campuses, even online? Holler back to the screen. Let me tell you, but Daddy's a preacher in East Los Angeles, California, A.K.A. the hood. And when Daddy says something good, they say amen. Come on, take me to Zion. I mean, you can show up this morning however you want to, okay? So, if the Spirit of the Living God is moving upon you, you could say, Yes, Lord, that word was for me. If you brought your spouse and you know they need Jesus and they're clearly not His hearing the Holy Spirit, you could be like, Yes, Lord, did you hear that word? It was for you, okay? <laughs> Welcome to marriage. Welcome to marriage. If you are taking note, we are going to be discussing redeeming attraction. Or in the words of the philosopher, Justin Timberlake, I'm bringing sexy back. Those other brothers don't know how to act. What he didn't know, he was actually breaking down some important thoughts, and let me tell you why. I served in youth ministry for eight years, and I remember being around a group of girls, specifically this one time where we were having a Bible study, but then it lent itself to like dating, sex, marriage, relationships, because teenagers and we were having this great conversation and it just started getting deeper and deeper and there was this one frightened wide-eyed girl in the back that raises her hand ever so cautiously she says my mother thinks it's inappropriate for us to talk about such sexual natures here in the church and so what my internal carnal voice said was your hey, mama is stupid but then my christian voice that everyone heard out loud was bless your heart because y'all are from the South. And what I've come to discover people from our Southern regions, and when someone blesses your heart, they're really not blessing your heart. You know what y'all are saying? You sure is stupid. <laughs> I grew up Baptocostal, so that's basically with your Pentecostal with a safety belt. And so this idea of talking about sexuality, intimacy, sex, relationship, God's ordination and blessing over it, I sometimes felt like I couldn't be honest in church, as if some of these topics were taboo. That's why I love what Pastor Jeremy's heartens in the series is. Hey, let's put all the things on the table. Even the hint and the notion of talking about such things in church, you know, the church ladies with the stank faces and be like, we mm, shouldn't talk about those things. Or a, a, a modern vernacular that we have is Hispanics, like a cara de fuchi, where something smells all the time like. Mm hmm. But as a purveyor of God's promises, of a student of God's word, I began to realize, oh, hold up. God did not just speak about sexuality and sex for procreation. He also spoke about it for recreation to the glory of God, okay? Yes. If you're here and you're single like a Pringle, ready to mingle, let me give you a word today. Serve the house, find a spouse, amen, all right? Today, It's week one of GROW, you're welcome, okay. Often, we think that these conversations shouldn't be had in church Christian chatter. We don't speak about such things, we are dignified. But when we remain silent on such topics, we turn over the narrative to movies, magazines, and mass media to determine what God deems as beautiful. No. They're, they're proffering lies to us. And yet, we have the truth of God's word. And the truth is, the Bible has a lot to say about intimacy, sexuality, and marriage. And one of my favorite characters in all the Bibles, the wisest man even known in our world today, his name is King Solomon. He wrote a book, um, either in your translations, referred to as Song of Songs or Songs of Solomon. Beautiful. Theologians believe that this is his most beautiful song. It is the Song of Solomon. Of songs and so if you've never read this book before just a little fyi in hebrew culture hebrew men can't read this book until they were 13 years old so this might feel a little pg 13 for some of you but guess what it's in the holy scripture so if you brought your praise hank you might need it to be a little sweat rag today okay don't say it didn't warn you turn with me in your bibles to song to solomon or as i like to say sos Lord, save our ships, because dating is a hot mess, okay? Turn with me to SOS chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. What a great way to start a sermon, okay? Some Jesus juice and some making out. It's in the Holy Bible. Don't look at me cross-eyed, all right? This is my first time to Houston, and uh, I I wanna communicate how I interpret the Word of God, which may feel a little different. Maybe not to some of y'all, because Pastor Jeremy might be white, but you know he has some hot sauce in his bag, okay? Like, he's got some swag for sure. But my passion and love for narrative and storytelling came at a very young age. I would remember vividly going to my grandma's house and she poured me a cup of coffee and we sit there and watch soap operas at the age of six. (laughs) Hashtag Puerto Rican, Borinca. So I remember watching these stories and being fascinated with like how layered and intricate and and how expressive these these people were. But, But maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, when I say soap opera, your mind goes to General Hospital, One Life to Live, Young and the Restless. But what I'm talking about is something called novelas, okay? Oh, okay. So, some people are sitting here like, I just don't know what she said. Let me explain it to you. A soap opera, a very beautiful, tall, blonde woman with neatly coiffed hair, will look at her forlorn lover who's just broken up with her, with a svelte waist and thighs that definitely don't touch, and she will look at him and say, I don't understand. Please don't leave. And in a novella, a woman comes out like a bat out of hell, wearing a dookie booty dress, back home hair like a beehive, eyelashes so long when she blinks, you feel it through the screen. And she looks at her lover and she says, Pero Juanito, no se va mi amor, por qué? Ay Dios mío, por qué? No se va. Then someone runs in, shoots Juanito. You find out that Juanito, her baby daddy, and you're like, Okay. I hear so many people say, oh, the Bible's boring. No, boo-boo, you boring, okay? So in my mind's eye, build this narrative, build this narrative. In my mind's eye, Scripture tells us, we're going to read that, that she was darker-skinned. She's a darker-skinned woman. And we can get excited and turn up that Meghan Markle's now royalty. But you want know, to so see what's beautiful? We have this girl. That is dark-skinned, working in the field as a laborer. She was a picker that turned to a princess in the palace. Tell me my God won't do it. Yes, Jesus! Yes, Jesus! So my mind's eye, you know, she like a Puerto Rican girl from the Bronx. She got, you know, she like kind of sound like Cardi B. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine, Jesus Jules. Pleasing are the fragrance of your perfumes. Nah on the toilet, we fancy, huh? Your name is like perfume poured out. Take me away with you, oh. Her crew, her clique. This is how they respond. We rejoice, girl. Hey, go ahead. We delight in you. We praise your love more than wine. Tip it out for the homies. Hey. And you could be sitting there thinking, this girl is so extra. Me and Waka know that we extra, okay? We love it. We love it. In verses two, where we pick up, There's two schools of thought that people usually approach this text. Theologians will debate about this until kingdom come. One group believes that this is a a love letter from God to us, the church. Another group believes that this is a love letter from a real man, Solomon, and a real woman, Abishah. I tend to lean here, but I think that there's beauty in both narratives. I want to speak to both of that. But in verses 2 through 4... We are told and we believe as Bible scholars that this is a narrative between a couple that have been married for a number of years, and they're almost opening the pages of their love story to give us a sneak peek about their journey. Arguing, fighting, romance, waiting, reconciliation. It's all through this book. I highly recommend it if you're married. Um, So what we see here in this first verse on love and wine and kisses This scripture is revolutionary because it's spoken about in God's holy scripture, his holy writ. You know what that shows us? God cares about attraction. He actually cares about it. And it shows and displays that it is okay to be attracted to someone. That just because you are attracted sexually to someone does not make you carnal. No. Another thing that I love about this opening verse is who starts the narrative in this story? Good answer. A woman, who starts and initiates the intimacy. A woman, who speaks to and esteems their partner. A woman, so whoever thinks the the, the word of God is oppressive, depressive, or oppressive against the head of women, that the Bible is misogynistic, I dare to say that our God is the greatest liberator of all mankind. And that we see through the pages of scripture an elevation and an equality between men and women. And here, Solomon has such wisdom to speak such beautifully about the leadership, the initiation, and also the sexuality of his wife. Now, this was a big learning lesson for me, and that's why I want to pull it to the forefront of this conversation, because when I was single, People would ask me, like, so be, you know, who you into, what do you like? I feel as a pastor's kid. I feel as a Christian. I feel like I had to put on this, like, facade and say things like, I hope he deworms children in Somalia. Has the heart for mission. Years later, I've realized, I even posted this on Instagram because I feel like it's important for us as Christians to have language, that there is a difference between attraction and lust. There's a difference between them. But we somehow kind of categorize people who are lusty, dusty, crusty, or thirsty as being all bad. But, but it's okay to be attracted to someone. I'll use my husband as an example. I was attracted to his height. I was attracted to his athletic physique. It was a man that knew that his body was a temple. Took care of it. Uh, he had a job, and he had his teeth. I was like, Yes, Lord, I'm attracted. I'm attracted. Lust will rear its ugly head and come across like, Oh, baby, let me have a piece of that. <laughs> Can I get some fries with that shake, shake booty? It looks good, kill you. Will be an Uzi or a shotgun, bang. But well, we're gonna stop right there because this is the house of God, okay? <laughs> Listen, you need to be attracted to the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, and that's okay. You need to be attracted to the person that God puts in front of you to marry. How do we know that God is okay with this? In Genesis chapter 2, I'll be backing up a scripture, you know I'm not a heretic. In Genesis chapter 2, a man named Adam sees a naked woman in the Garden of Eden, and he doesn't say, oh great, this so is someone to help me tow the ground and tend to the garden." He didn't say, oh, I hope she has a great personality. No, he says bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I will call. Showering. He don't even shave anymore. He won't even brush his tooth. Like we, we just have problems, you know. I want to bring as like a low foundation here that attraction is more than just physical. It's more than just a physique. I hear women specifically because women are more verbal processors that will say, "Well, he's just not romantic." We've lost the loving feeling. It's not the same. We've fallen out of love like it's a ditch. Stop! No! Well, well, what do you want? What do you feel is romantic? Rose petals on the bed. A hot air balloon ride. Riding into the sunset on horseback. This isn't season 12 of The Bachelorette, boo. Okay? Stop. Stop. Now, do I wish that my husband was a little bit more romantic? Listen, I'm Spicy Latina, and he is a man of German descent Sure means it's so good with emotions, so good with the money, so good with the time, you know. So I kind of wish that he a little bit more like, baby, come on, show me you're alive. like your baby toe or something. Come on. Do I wish that he was more romantic? I do. But if you are in a marital relationship, whether male or female, we have to begin to discover what romance looks like in different seasons of life. Because we've been fed Disney cartoons, we've been fed rom coms, but we need to define and find. Two weeks ago, I was preaching at a conference in London. I mean, I don't think these Brits knew what to do with me. Like, oh, who is this posh girl? I mean, I was preaching like like hell was on our doorstep. I was preaching like I want heaven to come down. I was preaching like my life depended on it. Ooh, and I was preaching in a leather jacket. Bless my heart. So I walked up on the stage and I sat down right here next to my husband and I looked like I was sweating more than T.D. Jakes in a hot flash, okay? I look like I got baptized. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pass out. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I feel this from husband man. He's never done that before, but in that moment, he was blowing on me, so I didn't pass out. And let me tell you something. I didn't hear cherubs sing. There was no that we shared the noodle and kismetly met in the middle of it. But in that moment, I said, Bianca, Boltov, this is romance. Because you have a man that is loving you at your worst and trying to make you feel like you are the best. That's romance. What are you, how are you defining and what are you defining as romance? Look at verse three. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. See, she thinks that that he's hot, but his name, hmm, his name is pleasing. I want to pause for a second because in, in ancient world, in ancient Hebrew culture, a name was more than a marker or an identifier. A name was a prophetic foretelling of your destiny or a circumstance surrounding your birth. Names were very important during those times. So during these days, women did Men and women didn't have the luxury of bathing like we do today. Like, we shower every day. And if you don't, you should. Okay? In verse 3, we hear that, that she's truly attractive. Beyond just his physical, she's truly attracted to his name. His name is virtue and his character. In the Hebrew, the word for name is this word, carasso. For the note takers, it's on the screen. The word carasso means to be etched. Out This is indicating that his name is immutable. This shame cannot change. Come hell or high water, come wind, snow, and sleet, this man will not move. So single ladies, cougars on the prowl, men who are divorcees or still experiencing a failure to launch in your mid-30s, mid-40s and figuring out what is wrong with me. Listen, when you meet somebody, wait long enough until you know their name. Not the name that they tell you, but their name. Because i see way too many war- romance whirlwind romances that, ha- that, after after knowing each other 2.5 seconds, you're like, we're engaged, and we're going to Vegas, we're gonna elope. you are, and yet you are mine. She had a group of friends around her, a community around her, that attested and affirmed to the goodness of this man. Do you have that community? Because if you don't, there are groups here at Hope City that are waiting to welcome you in, to tell you, listen, girl, that guy is no good. Listen, girl, I have a friend that can open up a job for you. Listen, girl, I may not be able to heal you, but I serve a God who does. So This is the point of a small group. I'm so lonely. Get into community. I have so much time on my hands. Volunteer. I got so much money in my bank. Give to the church. Okay. So her small group has surrounded her and said, this man is awesome solomon is the type of man that we want our sons to become the type of man we want our daughters to marry specifically to ladies in the house because sometimes i think that we make bad decisions more readily than men because of our high emotional level and you don't need to have dark skin to be crazy um what we see here is instead of waiting for a man that's six four light eyes an apac like michael b jordan wakanda what we need is a man who loves jesus Reads his Bible, prays like his life depends on it. Yes, Christian women, let me just let me just have a real talk conversation and keep, keep keep it real with you. A little K.I.R., you should have two standards. The bar is really low. So it's just we can do it. Does a man? quote me. Number two, if you are taking, no, oh, H-Town didn't like that. Okay, I see you. Point number two, confidence. There's nothing more attractive than a person with confidence. Men and women of the house, you could be talented, you could be sharp, you could be educated, you could even be attractive. But if you don't have a sense of confidence, if you don't love up with stats and social science They've done a research study they charted a group of people those that were successful and 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 beautiful according to world standards beautiful people but lacked confidence and exhibited insecurities versus a group of people that had good personalities and confidence guess what they discovered through their research they discovered that this less commercially identified group of beautiful receive more date invitations and more job opportunities. Why? Because they exhibit a sense of self-confidence. In the hood, we refer to this as swag, but I'm talking about a God confidence. Because we could sing songs that say, I'm a child of God. In my father's house, there's a place for me. But until you begin to live it, until you begin to see it, until you begin to say it, until you begin to believe it, that he has a plan for us, there's a place for me. World identified as beautiful, Solomon went into the vineyard and saw a dark-skinned woman that he found to be absolutely and completely attractive. And I feel that if if, if Solomon could do that for Abishah, how much more is God looking at you wherever you are, tore up from the floor up, feeling like a hot mess. God looks at you and says, I still believe you are beautiful. I still believe you have potential. I still believe that there's a plan. I still believe that all things can first chapter, we speak and we see Abishaz, not just her courage to be honest with where she is, but also her confidence in the midst of her insecurities. Check out verse 5. Dark and lovely am I. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Gadar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons, her brothers, were angry with me, made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday, why should I be like veiled women beside the flocks of your friends? I love verse 5 because here we see that there's a part of her body that she enjoys, that she loves, that she finds beautiful, but then she also is in that there's something that she's embarrassed by. So beautifully, she holds the tension that so many women feel. She wants to be sanctified and sexy, but she's wrestling with insecurities, Does she have any relatives in the house? Any women? Phil, Abishaw. I have two honest people. Great, amazing. I dare to say that this is true for most women today. We're we're identifying what beautiful is based on worldly standards. So we put on Spanx to cover Now, I want this to make sense to us. We get the word picture and actually live it and see it and breathe it in the pages of our Bible. The tents of Kadar. Kadar was a Bedouin tribe that were known for their black wool. So she essentially is saying here, my skin is as dark as black wool. But she also references Solomon's curtains. Well, Solomon's curtains were a deep, dark purple color. So she is a dark sister. But how many know, the darker the berry, the sweeter the juice. Amen! Ancient Near East, the most valuable thing that a woman possessed was her skin. And at that time, lighter was better. And yet we see here, she says, don't stare at me because I'm dark. Back then, women would cover their entire body because the lighter they were, it would show as a status symbol their significance and their wherewithal, that they didn't have to work. And yet she's saying here, I'm, I'm self-conscious. My mother's sons are angry with me when we take care of my vineyards. Throughout this beautiful book, there's these amazing similes metaphors and allegories, here she's using this one as a vineyard that not only represents her sexuality, uh, her body but also her job in verse 7 we have this reference to a veiled woman a veiled woman was a prostitute who would follow the shepherds around and offer their bodies for a price, so what she's saying here is I love you, I want you I will follow you but I will not be like them ratchet hoochies who be like sleeping with you okay, (laughs) no, no in college, uh, people soon discovered that I was a virgin who was waiting to wait for my husband. And when they found out that I was a virgin, it became like a hot topic of conversation. So by my senior year, they're like, "No, Bianca, especially the men, no, Bianca, you don't understand. It's like." Trying out a car. You gotta figure out which works and what's good, and you know how many miles this one can go, and if you like where you're going, what it looks like. And I'm, i finally I said, okay, let's carry this analogy forward a couple years. In a couple years, you are going to be visiting some like janky used car lot, still trying to get your free ride. And the day that my husband finds me, he is gonna get a brand new zero-mileage car straight out the lot, okay? So on September 7th, when Matt Olthoff said, I do, he got a loped out, fully loaded, drop top BMW. Yes, he did. A big Mexican woman. Amen. Here's the greatest tip for my single brothers and sisters in the house. No ringy, no dingy. You're welcome. Saved you some therapy right there. Avishaw had the confidence to know, I know who I am. I'm worth more, I'm worth more. You know what I love about this? Isn't the Bible so relevant? The issues that these people face then, we deal with now. So what does this mean for us today? Attraction is good. Attraction is God-ordained. Attraction is needed for healthy sexual relationships. So my heart for men here in this room and those watching online is, will you speak love respect and affirmation, the women in your life. Solomon was believed to be the wisest man during that time, for sure, and even in our modern world. And I believe that that is in part from a divine wisdom that God gave for him, of course, but also his ability to speak to and communicate with those that he loved. So men, fathers, brothers, cousins, co-workers, boyfriends, be careful with the words that you choose. Ephesians 5 tells us that every word that proceeds from your mouth needs to be guarded by Christ and seasoned with love. Proverbs 18:21 says that there is life and death in the tongue. The ladies in the place with style and grace, can we learn from our sister Abishaw and find ourselves beautiful even if we don't meet the world's standards? Because I think secretly we long for this kismet Jerry Maguire moment when someone comes up to us and says, But it's not true. It's not true. Because you can't take two broken people and try to force a whole. Our completion, our satisfaction, our adoration is going to come from God Almighty. So we have to stop believing the lie. I don't need you in my life to make me whole. I'm already whole. I don't need you to choose me. I'm already chosen. I don't need you to provide for me. My God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, okay? You're lucky you have me. Yes. So whether you are male or female, young or old, tall, skinny, floofy, black, white, Asian, Haitian, or Eurasian, you do not need a significant other to be significant. Your bank account isn't going to make you significant. Your wife isn't going to make you significant. Your husband isn't going to make you significant. Your children will not make you significant. So today, maybe you walked into church and you don't know how you got here. Maybe you saw something on Instagram or Facebook. Maybe a friend brought you. It's a good friend. Maybe you stumbled in half lit and drunk. You know how you got here. Guess what? You came to the right house because God has a plan for you. Maybe you've never heard the name Jesus, but there's a man named Jesus who loved you so much that when stretched out on a cross on a hill called Calvary, he said, it is finished. And the veil separating God from man and the holies of holies tore from top to bottom. No longer do we need a mediator. No longer do we need someone to go to God. We have access to the creator of the universe. (laughs) A.W. Tozer says, this is not a doctrine to be held. It is a life to be lived. You are a child of the most high God. And he said, come to me. Come to me. There is more. So if you've never accepted Jesus, or maybe you have, you went to vacation Bible school as a kid or John 3.16, but you know, I feel really far from God. Today is your day to get right with God so you can get tight with God. So right where you are, Romans tells us, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So right now, with much boldness and courage, like Abishon, will you say, I need Jesus? Will you raise your hand and declare online, on campuses, in overflow, right where you are? Will you raise your hand right now and say, I need Jesus, either for the first time or the fourth hundredth time. Jesus, God bless you. 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 God bless you and you. And God bless you. He sees you. He sees. God bless you. Anyone else? Before we go, anyone else? Your heart is beating. Your head is thumping. how did she know me? It's not me. It's the Spirit of God saying, wake up, boo-boo. I got a plan for you. Stop being asleep. Wake up, sleeper. Anyone else? Will you raise your hand right now? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. Can we all stand to our feet? We're going to pray with our brothers and sisters out loud. There is no magic prayer. But I believe sometimes it's helpful when we have language communicate what we are wanting God to do in our life. So you repeat after me boldly and say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Fill my heart. Cleanse my mind renew my conscience. Fill me with the power of your spirit to be who you called me to be. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all say amen. Can we thank God with a praise, a clap offering? Hope City, what a privilege it has been to serve you. You have one of the world's best pastors, Jeremy Foster. Jennifer, we love you. Thank you, guys.